Good morning. Good to see everybody. I want to welcome you here as we now move into the Word of God. We're thankful for the, just the chance of gathering in worship, joining our hearts together and our voices together as we focus on God and give Him glory. And now we're going to look into His Word. Let me pray before we look into His Word. Father, we just pray and ask for your blessing upon this time. Thank you, Lord for the ability and just the talent that we hear when we worship you, we lift our voices to you. Thank you for giving that to us. And Father, now we pray that you would open our eyes to the deep meanings of your word so that we could be better people, we could love one another more, love you more, understand you better, so we may serve you better. We pray in this name, amen. What comes to your mind when you hear this phrase, the wrath of God? Because, you know, it's all possible talking about the wrath of God here and there, or just mentioning it from time to time. When you think of you automatically think of something like giant bolts of lightning striking the earth, with hurricane winds crashing trees into homes and throwing cars around on roads. When you hear the, the wrath of God, do you think of God's anger finally being released after years and years and years of his anger building up to a pitch that he just cannot contain it anymore? Or do you think of the wrath of God coming when things on earth reach such a horribly sinful, decadent state that even God can't take it anymore? Well, I want you to look at Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 15 and verse 1 to see where it talks about the wrath of God or mentions it. It says, I saw in heaven... Another great and marvelous sign. This is the Apostle John. He's been given these visions of heaven and things that are going on in heaven because he's seen what's going to happen in the future. God's plan to take back his earth from his enemies, from Satan and those who serve him. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Here it is. Seven angels with the seven last Because with them, God's wrath is completed. Now, in Revelation, it talks about God's end-time judgment upon the world. And part of that, a big part of that, are three series of separate judgments. The seals, the trumpets, and the seven bowl judgments. Each one having seven parts to it. And each one, each time you go from the seals <clears throat> to the trumpet judgments to the bowl judgments, it gets more intense, more destruction, more judgment upon the earth than those who are against God. Now, you may have noticed the word bowls is not in verse 1. It just says the seven last plagues. 
last because with them God's wrath is completed. But when we get to verse 7, we will see that these plagues will be poured out of bowls. The angels will pour these plagues out of the bowls. So they are the seven bowls. Now, a few minutes ago, I asked, what comes to your mind when you hear about the wrath of God? It can be a scary thought, scary feelings. But I want to point out something here in verse 1. It says that the seven last plagues are called last because with them, the wrath of God is completed. It's all poured out. It's come to its conclusion. So that would mean that God's judgments upon the wicked of the earth have already been measured out. You see, in the ancient pagan world, people thought of disasters coming from the gods, the false gods that we would see, we would say, losing their tempers and finally just lashing out when they couldn't take it anymore. And they couldn't control themselves. They got so angry, they just lashed out with their judgments. And those judgments could come for any reason. So people, <clears throat> they didn't know exactly what it was that angered the gods. If something happened, they just thought somebody did something. But with Yahweh, the God of the Bible, he has given his people, and even beyond his people, anyone who wants to look into his word, he has given the world his scriptures that tell of good and evil. And good and evil are determined and judged and measured in the Christian faith by God's holy being, his holy character, his perfect goodness. So we can know what is good and what is evil. And sin and evil, in a sense, are attacks on God's holy character. And in God's, the way it really is, Sin and evil must be paid for. God just can't let them go. And the payment is measured out by God. And that is why these seven last plagues can be called last, because they are the full measure of satisfying God's wrath for all the sin on the earth. As he's wrapping up our human program here and moving into the next the next life. You see, God isn't capricious like the pagan gods were thought to be. He is righteous, and sin must be paid for. It must be judged because of God's holy nature. He can't let them go and just forget about them and say, well, let's let bygones. It can't happen that way with God. And one reason we know that God is being totally righteous and loving, even in this time of judgment, is because we know that God is righteous. You know, people get worried when something happens and say, why did God do this? But we know that he is very righteous because he chose to send his own son to pay for the whole penalty for sin. Christ's death on the cross, he came and became a human being when he had just eternity with his father in bliss and holiness and glory. <clears throat> and he and the father agreed that he would come become a human being and take on all that suffering to pay for every sin that had ever occurred. 
And so anyone who turns to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and repentance of what they've done wrong, knowing that Christ's death on the cross paid for those sins, anyone who turns to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, Christ has taken care of their sins. If our faith is in him, sincere faith in Christ, our sins are taken care of. So we know that God is love, and we know that his judgments are righteous. People often question God when something is happening in the world or something is happening to them. And I can't answer every question. I don't know anybody who can, but I do know that when God sent his son, his holy, righteous, sinless son, to pay for the sins of the world, that's really all I need to know. I know now that he is righteous and he is loving and anything that happens that I can't answer, I know God is still loving and there's a good reason for it. So now as we move to the unleashing of the last seven plagues, John says he sees something that is great and marvelous because God's wrath is being completed. God is reclaiming his creation. And as he continues describing the scene, he is being shown. Well, look at verses 2 through 4. He says, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast. We looked at last week where Satan, the beast came out of the sea, and that was Satan's man who was going to cause all people to worship him, which is like worshiping Satan. And so, standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name, and they had... They held harps given them by God. They demanded that they worship the beast. And so some refused. And then it wasn't, it was bad news for them. And they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just, just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring your glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. <clears throat> In John's vision, he sees the saints who have been victorious over the beast. The beast was Satan's person, the Antichrist, and everybody was supposed to worship him. And everybody was pointed to him and had to take his mark on their forehead or their right hand. We read all this in chapter 13 a few Sundays ago. All people are meant to worship, are, are forced to worship the beast in its image. And those who refuse will be killed. And these are the victorious ones who are the ones who were killed. You know... The way we think on earth and the way God thinks in heaven are like two opposites oftentimes. How are they victorious if they were killed? Well, they were victorious because they did not turn away from Jesus Christ and worship the beast or his image. 
Now they're being celebrated as victory, as those who gained the victory. And they're in heaven singing with harps, singing the song of ultimate victory. This isn't just this, you know, slow-moving hymn. This is a great celebration, joyful song, the song of God's victory over evil. They were standing beside something that said that looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire. That stands for the majesty of God, just the, the glorious vision it gives off. Fire is often seen as a sign of judgment. So these people who gave their lives for Christ and would not, would not worship the beast, they stand before this beautifully majestic landscape expressing the majesty of God, praising God, and also knowing that God as king will be the final judge of those who persecuted them. So we have this glass that's a glorious, majestic scene, you know, that, that shows the majesty of God, but it has the fire that shows that those who did wrong will be punished. They will pay for their sins because they won't turn to Christ. And so, again, this was their song. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. This is the song of God's victory over all of his enemies who refused to acknowledge him. And these are all singing it. <clears throat> you know, I've mentioned this before, but we've known and heard of people who were taken out and killed because they were Christians. And our last image of them, like those ones stand, uh, kneeling along the shore in Libya, our last image of them is kneeling down, you know, their heads drooping, and the men behind them that are ready to cut off their heads. But that doesn't have to be our last image because they're singing in heaven and they're celebrating, they're glorifying God and they're happy and they're better off than we are. So we can have that image because the Bible gives us that image. And so... God's victory over all of his enemies who refuse to acknowledge him is coming. And especially those who said in their hearts, we will rule the earth. We're seeing that today. We are seeing people in high places. And they're moving away from any acknowledgement of God. And making rules exactly opposite of what God would make. And they're saying, we will rule the earth. And in the end times, it's going to be magnified a hundred times until God comes and changes things. And now I'd like you to follow along as I read verses 5 through 8, our last verses. <clears throat> That's the end of verse 4. For you alone are holy, all nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. In verses 5 through 8, After this I looked, 
and I saw in heaven the temple. That is the tabernacle of the covenant law. The tabernacle of the covenant law was what was in uh, the, the tent of meeting and what they carried with them all through the desert in the 40 years. And it was the, it was the presence of God. And so he looks and he sees that in the temple in heaven. He says, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Judgment is coming to the earth. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. <clears throat> we just saw in the Bible how in the end, mankind is going to get to the point where he thinks uh, this is unbelievable from us as we, we look at it, but mankind is going to get to the place where he thinks he has a chance to defeat God and continue moving down his own self-exalting pathway of sinful pride. Some people are already there, right? But in the end, the world will go that way. They'll think they can possibly stop Christ from taking the earth as he comes down to the earth, and they think, we've got it. Because they're going to be winning a lot of battles up until then. But what happens? Well, even when believers lose their lives for refusing to bow to the image of the beast, and it looks like the beast and his people have won the victory, we then see those who refuse to worship, they refuse to worship the beast or his image, and we see a picture of them. John sees a picture of them. They are joyously, loudly singing the song of victory by the glassy sea glowing with fire. And those, those on earth are thinking, we got this. You better obey us. In heaven, they're singing that song of victory. And they know it's not going to be good for those who turn away from God. So, you know, in the end, it's the same thing over and over and over again. It's that on the surface, it often looks like God, following God, is a losing choice. Because we're thinking everything earthly because that's what's all around us. Everything you see is favoring those who live for themselves and ignore God. But when we look beyond what we can see on this earth, and we look into the Word of God, and we understand God's character and his power. And we know that in the past, the word of God has come true over and over and over again. And often it wasn't anything like people thought. You know, the birth of Christ. It wasn't anything like people thought. And John the Baptist being born. Nothing like anyone thought. But we, we look into God's word past this earth 
That's where true victory comes. It always has and it always will. And that victory will last for eternity in God's new kingdom on this new earth in the new universe. So I want to encourage us today, no matter how bad things look on this earth, and they, they can look very bad, we who follow Christ are and will be the victors. No doubt, it will happen. And today you have so many people deconstructing their faith because they're just looking out of the earth. And they're saying, this bad thing happened, God doesn't love us. But see, our journey is called a journey of faith. Where we are to live a life of faith. Because what we see on the earth doesn't always look like victory. But the Bible tells us over and over and over again that suffering is the pathway to the eternal, joyous, exhilarating victory. And all through the Bible, you know when those ten went into the promised land and they came back, <laughs> I was just hearing this yesterday, they came back with clusters of grapes that they couldn't even carry, they had to put them on poles and two people had to carry them. They were so bountiful and good. And God had given them that land. But ten of them said, no, we're midgets compared to them. But the Bible tells us over and over that suffering is the pathway to eternal victory. We saw it in the glorified Christ after he went through his suffering. It's not meaning we'll be suffering all the time, but suffering is part of the it's part of the pathway. And we see it in the church. And it's even absolutely certain at the end times, Christians will suffer. So stake your claim in what is absolutely true. Don't let everything on the earth get you down. Remember what's coming in the future. Stake your claim in the faithfulness of Christ and the faithfulness of God. After all those millennia, he sent his son. And they were waiting for his son for a long, long, long time. He and all who follow him will have the final victory. Let's pray.